0: Well, please open your scriptures to Matthew chapter seven. We have only two sermons left in a series on Jesus. One sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And next week I will provide a proper overview. But this morning I want to run immediately to our portion of the text found in Matthew chapter seven, beginning in verse 13. Quick overview. Jesus highlights Two different ways, two trees with two kinds of fruit, and two professions. And what I'd like to do this morning to highlight the hazard or the danger is to put it in the negative and in an outline form that is memorable. This is the big idea and the title of our sermon this morning. The false path, false prophets, and false professions that keep people from the path of life. The reason I'm using the negative is because in this specific portion, it seems as though that is what Jesus himself is highlighting. He actually develops the negative side of this more than he develops develops the positive side of this. Secondly, false highlights the danger that we're on. Here's the danger. Billions of people have chosen a false path because they think that somehow... They are a Christian by default because they're not a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist or some other religious identification. Billions of people on the false path, even while saying they may even be evangelical. Many have appeared throughout history claiming to be guides of truth or sages or prophets of God, saviors of men, messiahs. Preachers of righteousness, but they're not. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. This is the the metaphor that Jesus puts before us so that we are warned about this. And folks, I want to be very clear this morning, because the evangelical church is not automatically an exception. We'll see that in a few minutes. 2.3 billion people profess to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Today, those, those who are living, 2.3 billion professing Christian remains the world's largest religious group. But it seems many are clinging to an empty profession, an institutional identity, a spiritual ex- experience, or even ministerial success. Believable to those around them, but ultimately rejected by the Son of God. We'll see that in the passage this morning, too. So Jesus uses three illustrations, and I love how... Jesus is the master teacher, master illustrator, and he uses two paths, two trees and two kinds of fruit and two professions. So let's look at the first section, the false path. The image of two paths was commonly used among old Jewish writings, Greek and Roman writings. And now Jesus is going to incorporate the same image, the same metaphor And the idea here, these two roads historically and in literature have always presented sort of truth from error or light from darkness or morality from immorality or ultimately life from death. Two paths, very simple. Look at verse 13. Jesus says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it... Are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And the idea of a gate is easy to understand. Gates swing open to allow access to a certain point, either on a, in a, on a road or on a trail. But just because a gate opens easily does not mean it accesses the right point. And just because a path is a well-worn path does not automatically make it the right path. Two gates, two ways. Double image communicating the same idea. It's not that there aren't degrees to being on the wrong path or degrees to being on the right path. Jesus is simply saying this is an entrance point and this is the road traveled. Okay, two images to emphasize a single truth. Here's what the wide path allows for. Are you ready? Everything. That's what makes it easy. The wide gate means you can carry whatever in through that gate you want to. By the way, it even allows for a syncretistic, sort of a, a, a combined religious ideas of Christianity. Christianity is welcome on the wide path. Bring all your luggage, all your compromise, all your qu- and just walk that path. The white path isn't simply like clearly marked unbeliever, pagan. Everything's welcome. That's what makes it so easy. Diversity of religious opinion, compromising of morals. You see, on the easy road, there are no moral guardrails. You will never bump up against something that says, stay on the path. You just you can go as far as you want on the wide road. There are no warning tracks when it comes to living completely for your own passions. You'll never hear that rumble strip. Never. Just go explore everything. That's what makes it easy. The rock and roll band, ACDC, described this wide and easy highway accurately. They wrote, living easy, living free, season ticket on a one-way ride, Asking nothing, leave me be, taking everything in my stride. No stop signs, speed limit. Nobody's going to slow me down. We're going to look in a second that, that, that each way leads to a destination. And this particular band knew the destination for the entitled, that song, Highway to Hell. It's an easy path. It's a wide road. The narrow gate, however, is difficult and traveled by few. Part of what makes this road difficult is it demands humility. It demands a willingness to say that you need to be rescued. It demands a a, a sense of accurate self awareness to say, I can't save myself. That gate is narrow. You come into that gate alone and desperate for a savior. It involves genuine repentance of sin and often subsequent persecution that Jesus has already mentioned in Matthew chapter 5 at the beginning of this sermon. Think about it this way. The narrow path is like a turnpike toll booth, right? Not that you have to pay. You don't have to pay. But you go in at what? One car at a time. Okay, well, that that illustration breaks down, right? Because you're like, yeah, I'm in the car with mom and dad. So I got through. Okay, think about it like an airplane ticket then. You go through security on your own. You present your boarding pass. With no boarding pass, you don't get on the flight. And again, I don't want to reinforce the false idea that I got my ticket to heaven, right? So don't go that far. The only point is it is narrow and you go in one at a time. You can't say, oh, I'm with them. Let me see your boarding pass. It is narrow and it is difficult. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the door, right? It's like a gate, another entrance point. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. You know, the way of salvation is narrower than people think. Partly, especially in America, unlike the video in Somalia we just watched, it's so easy to be a Christian here. So we, we sort of accept a sloppy grace message or an easy believe message and Jesus is actually countering that a little bit and saying, no, the the way is the way is hard and the gate is narrow. Part of the reason is we've grown accustomed to thinking if if there is only one way. Right. And this is what we in and I, and I have to throw myself into this a lot now in entitled uh, America. Think if there's only one way, I don't want it. It's unfair. So you hear about an exclusive message. It's called the exclusivity of Christ. And we're like, no, I want options. I want another way up that proverbial mountain. I want to get to God on my own terms. Or at least, I want to be able to get to God at least one of three different ways. But at the end of the day, I'd like to pick. We call it unfair, but if there is a good creator, sovereign God, A gracious king, is it unfair for him to tell us the one way through which we can be reconciled to him? Is that unfair? Is it unfair that as a God who reveals himself and loves to be understood accurately, has given his word and preserved his word so that we can read exactly what that one way looks like? So we don't call breathing unfair, even though there's no option number two. That's just not fair to breathe. There should be two ways to live, right? So I'm just going to choose not to breathe. Okay, let's see how that works out, right? We're all exclusivist in some areas of life. If the breathing is obstructed or somebody chooses not to breathe, they will understand there's only one way. We don't call refusing to jump from the 45th floor of the Four Seasons Hotel unfair because the laws of gravity are unbending, we stay on the 45th floor or lower because we accept the exclusive fact that gravity will have its way regardless of age, status, wealth, weight, or gender. If you jump, you will realize there is one way. There is an unbending law. We don't call drinking water unfair. You and I were designed to need water. We depend on it for life. We either drink water or we suffer the malfunction of bodily needs and we die. One choice is clear when it comes to breathing gravity and our need for water. There is only one way to keep from dying and that is to breathe air, respect gravity, and drink water. So when the God of the universe comes in and says, I have given to you my Son and He is the one way, people lift up their fist. And they demand options. Our choice is clear when it comes to eternal life. Jesus said in John 14, 6, that He is the way. And the way that is constructed is, is it's, He's not a way or the best way or the most convenient way. He is the only way. And to remove doubt, He follows that statement up that He is the one way with this. No one goes unto the Father except how? That's narrow, isn't it? Yes, but it's not narrow-minded through Him. The New Testament message is clear. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Entrance demands a choice. That's the verb really used here. There's two ways, two gates. Enter now by the narrow gate. Entrance demands a choice and entrance determines a destination. Let's look at the destination. And we're just going to skip on top of this because Jesus does not take time to develop it. But I do want to show you what he says. Look at verse 13. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to where? Destruction. Again, he does not elaborate on this, but rather provides a quick, direct picture of spiritual death. Look at verse 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to where? Life. See, paths lead to destinations. In Luke chapter 12, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus was asked a question. And listen to this, because it, it may actually reflect sort of that, that, that sort of subtle skeptic within our own heart. And someone said to him, Lord. Will those who are saved be few? And Jesus said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Let's look at the next falsehood. Because what makes this journey even more hazardous are the false prophets who continue to market the wide and easy path. And it becomes obvious why Jesus followed the description of the two ways with a warning, with this word, sort of beware now. There are two ways, but beware. It becomes obvious why Jesus follows that with this warning about false prophets. Look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Like wolves, they are deceptive and ravenous. So in telling you to beware... Jesus is acknowledging not only the presence, but the prevalence of such a danger. And here's the danger. I mean, if we just pause on this. False prophets will be responsible for leading some people to the very destruction they deny even exists. That's why they can market this wide and easy path to you. The Apostle Paul warned to the church elders, at Ephesus, in Acts chapter 20, he said this, I know that after my departure, listen to, what he, listen to the metaphor he borrows, fierce wolves will come in among you. Here's their character, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So let me ask you, how do you identify this wolf-like prophet? Because he looks like a sheep. If we had had time, I was going to actually throw up here on the screen, you know, a a little puffy sheep with these dangly, nasty wolf legs sticking out. And say, okay, wolf or sheep? And we were were going to show less and less of the little, you know, wolfish paws until it was just one big, fluffy sheep. And I was going to saw it a lot better than I just did to get you to say, oh, yeah, now that's a sheep and then to remove the sheep, and there's a little wolf kind of crouched behind the fleece. Because the point that Jesus is going to make is that a wolf can deceive and hide his true character for a while, but a tree cannot. A tree has no motive. Wolves have motives. Prophets and preachers have motives. Religions have motives. Trees have no motives. Trees just have nature. And... Eventually, the nature of a tree will be seen for what it is. That's why he says, Beware, okay, beware of false prophets. Now look at verse 16, because he's going he's to let you know how to identify them. You will recognize them, who? The false prophets who are like wolves, by their fruits. And no, wolves do not grow apples. Okay, this, there's something different that Jesus is pointing to here. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. See, whereas a wolf may disguise itself, a tree cannot. Now, I may be able to present to someone who does not know anything about fruit trees. That's got a specific name that branches off of botany, and I may be able to convince someone, if there is no fruit, that this particular tree is an apple tree. And I may wage all my arguments, and I may talk about seasons, and fertilizers, and watering, and even convince someone to believe that this particular tree is a mango tree. Or did I start with apple? You see, some of you, so let's go back to apple. Until the fruit of a mango grows on it. And this individual would know enough to say, that's not the shape of an apple. That's not the color of an apple. Peel, peel. That's not the taste of an That's the fruit. Eventually, even if there is, even if you're not sure, eventually a tree by its very nature will show you the fruit that it bears. We need to be careful of this because wolves are not always what we expect. Now, it would be easy to put forward to you the false prophets this morning as the heinous evils done within the Roman Catholic Church. That would be easy. Who views Mary as a co-mediator with Jesus, a blatant doctrinal lie. It would be easy to say that, that the religion of Islam is a charade of fanaticism of the angel Gabriel giving to an illiterate Muhammad on a mountaintop books that had clearly now been proven to be plagiarized from old Jewish and other writings. What's not so easy to identify is when the false prophets are within the area we are most comfortable with. Some of you may know the name Hugh Marjo Ross Gortner, a former evangelist, preacher, and actor. Sadly, a combination of terms that are often indistinguishable his name marjo was given by his parents from the names mary and joseph even before he was born they had set their little boy up as a circus stunt to take money away from the church his parents trained him at a very young age to insist that god sent him as a prophet to preach the truth he was ordained at age four he was a rave in the evangelical revivalism and evangelism movement. The only problem is he was a complete charade. He crafted his hand motions. In an interview as an older man, he said, when I would say the word devil, I would point my hand out like that. And When I would say Jesus, I'd put my hands up like that. He had learned all these external motions to start to sway the people. Marjo decided as an adult to take one last revival tour, but this time to reveal himself for who he really was to the world, but not yet. He took a team of producers and television cameras and he recorded how he deceived large evangelical groups night after night who would fill the halls to listen to him. You could see a video of them interviewing him uh, where he's talking to this film producing crowd and they're sitting there smoking and he says, now when I do this... You're going to see someone slain in the spirit and they think they're getting the second blessing. You just watch how I work that. Make sure the cameras are close in on me. His mom would, when he was a young boy, use certain phrases to let him know that that, that her four or five year old needed to slow down a little bit. So she'd say, praise God. Or to speed up, praise Jesus. She also indicated with a religious phrase when it was time to take the offering because she could sense the emotionalism in the crowd where she was and she would say a certain phrase and that's when he would make the money. There's a video of him as an adult sitting on a motel bed and dumping out a brown grocery bag of money and cynically saying, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. Sadly, Marjo later confessed that he didn't even believe God Existed. This, I understand, is a much larger sensational example of what is happening in a more subtle way within our churches. Paul said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves, and in this case, it was Marjo's mom and dad who nobody detected, who trained their son to be an actor. To go in and wreak havoc like a ravenous wolf among flock after flock after flock. Look at verse 19. Because the judgment will determine. determined. Ju- even if we can't detect and we need to detect. And we don't become heresy hunters. We don't become suspicious of everybody. But we do need to remain critical in our thinking and discerning spiritually. But we also know that the day of judgment will finalize the difference between good and bad fruit. Look at verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Twice now, Jesus has said you will recognize them by their fruits. First of all, the fruit is character. Now, don't misunderstand me. People mess up. Good people make mistakes. Righteous people go through dark seasons and difficulty. But there is something about a person's character at his core that makes the difference between a teacher of truth and a false prophet. There is something that new birth brings that is distinguishable, even though an individual struggles that makes him different. You will know that individual by their fruits. It's interesting that Paul would then take that idea of fruit and call it the fruit of the Spirit. And it's not a skill set, and it's not pointing your hand at the right word. But it's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Peter denied Jesus for a season, but he was a teacher of truth and was restored. Thomas doubted for a season, but he returned Mark gave up on a mission. He is a failed missionary, but he was restored and he was then commissioned to give Peter's eyewitness account of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. The second kind of fruit is not just character, but the person's actual teaching. There's a doctrinal integrity. We call it orthodoxy. That simply means straight, straight teaching. When addressing the Pharisees, Jesus used the tree and fruit metaphor again and he connects it to teaching. Listen to this. This is... Uh, Very insightful. In Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 33, just listen. Jesus says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. That's a sharp, that's a sharp name call right there. That is a splitting, splitting conviction. How can you speak good when you are evil? Proud of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, Jesus says, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. And I do believe in this specific context he is aiming at those known to be teachers of the law in his generation. So there is character and there is right teaching, sound teaching. But sometimes it's easier to identify the fruit of false prophets, the fruit of bad trees, than it is our own false profession. Sometimes we have troubles identifying whether there is rotten fruit within our own heart. So he moves to the final falsehood, a false profession. Look at verse 15. Not or or verse 21. Sorry. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Right. see, So verbal, verbal camouflage, let's call it that, will be exposed eventually for what it is. Some fruit takes longer to ripen than others. But verbal, verbal camouflage or hypocrisy, if you would, Jesus has already used that term in the Sermon on the Mount, is a careful cover-up with the intent to deceive others or a habitual practice that has self-deceived. And to me, that seems to be even more dangerous when somebody is self-deceived. Because both produce the same grim pronouncement. He says this, I never knew you. Entering the kingdom requires more than a verbal profession of orthodoxy. Let me repeat that. Entering the kingdom requires more than a verbal profession of orthodoxy. You can come here and say, I totally agree with this doctrinal statement and be as lost as someone who has never heard of Jesus' name once. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Yes, a verbal profession is vital, right? Romans teaches this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth confession is made. But a verbal profession is not enough. Notice how Jesus explains it. They are polite, or at least reverent, Lord, Lord, but this may mean nothing more than sir, sir. It's more than intellect. Entering the kingdom requires more than a superficial experience or the display of supernatural power. Matthew 7, verse 22. Look at verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and cast out demons in Your name and do many mighty works in Your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew You. Depart from me, You workers of lawlessness. Notice that they seem earnest, respectful, Lord, Lord, and earnest. Lord, Lord. As if they really... We're deceived. But notice also that Jesus mentions the most extreme examples of spiritual experience. Supernatural ministry involving prophecy, exorcism, and miracles. And even if a prophet puts those forward, it does not mean he is not a wolf. Because in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus will say, many will come in the last days in my name and perform wondrous signs, but do not follow them. In Luke's version of the judgment, and this really is where it moves. It moves down from, from a false path to false prophets to a false profession. Many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not? I mean, you can go from the extreme to the minimal. Have we not brought our kids to church almost every Sunday? Have we not given in the offering every Sunday? Have we not done what was best for our children? Did you, Lord, Lord. In Luke's version of the judgment scene, a similar account occurs. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus says this, When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then He will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. This is a disturbing passage. That there, that there is a wide, easy path that leads to destruction. It's a disturbing passage that false prophets can come in and disguise themselves and that people just receive them and welcome them in. Based on just a little showmanship or a little manipulation or a little marketing skill or a sensationalism. That frankly, even the church cannot duplicate what is happening in Las Vegas. And we believe it. And that there can actually be a false profession where you know him and you were in his presence and you heard his teaching and that there's the possibility he will say, even with that, I never knew you. How do we respond to this? Next week is the full answer. The wise man, he built his house on a rock. And when the storm of destruction comes, that house stands. The foolish person built on the sand. And when the destruction comes, see, the destruction's going to come either way. And when the rains come down and beat upon that house, this thing that we had hoped would stand into eternity, it falls. And Jesus adds, and how great is the fall of that. So how do we respond? Enter by the narrow gate. Enter. Believe in the One who says He is the way, the truth, the life. No one goes unto the Father except through Him. Have you done that? You enter. I can't push you through the gate. But there is an entrance. Secondly, beware of false prophets. You will recognize them by their fruits. And third, be sure there is genuine fruit, biblical fruit to your profession. One last passage as we segue into observing the Lord's Supper together. In Matthew 21, when Jesus says, "Do the will of the Lord," or next week when we see the one who obeys my words or abides in my words builds like this. Okay, what does that look like? Look at Matthew. Just listen to Matthew 21, verse 28. Jesus teaches this. What do you think? Okay, there's the question. Now let's just put it out to us this morning, as this is the last passage. What do you think? And I want you to actually answer it before we get the answer. A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? Which, which did the will of the father? We, we know the answer, don't we? The second son, even using the term for Lord, I go. Oh, yes, sir. He did not do the will of the father. Which, so Jesus asks again in verse 31, which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, I want you to hear this. Not the punchline you were expecting. Truly, I say to you. Now, around in this group are the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious teachers. Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. That's heavy. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, the narrow gate, the right way. And even when you saw it, You did not afterward change your minds. That's the doctrine of repentance and believe. Jesus comes preaching in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, and he says, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. Let's pray.